Hello and welcome to Dog Talk with me, your host, Nick Benger, the ultimate podcast to help you take the next step in your dog training journey by learning from the best experts from around the world. Hello, welcome to another podcast and Before we start, I just want to address the fact that obviously in the last few days, we found out that the pack has been cancelled. It hasn't been renewed for a season two, which is devastating because it was such an awesome show and such a power for good in the positive training community. And as you can imagine, with so many TV uh, shows involving animals, Peter kind of uh, hijacked the story and acted as if it was all they're doing that the show got cancelled. And uh, just to kind of re, um, just put it out there, because I think a lot of these media outlets are running the story without this. Amazon has has put out a statement to say that the show was cancelled for, you know, not at all anything to do with Peter. Uh, it was just cancelled like so many shows, you know, a lot of shows don't continue on and have multiple seasons, unfortunately. But uh, I'm sure this won't be the end of uh, the end of the TV side of things for me. I would like to continue doing TV stuff, so I'll be contacting and talking to all of my friends in the TV industry. And of course, if you know anyone that is interested in trying to do some uh, dog TV shows, especially you know along the lines of our kind of ethos. Uh, in the positive training community, then I would definitely be really interested in that. So be sure to connect them with me. The other thing I want to highlight is I'm still doing the kind of question and answer podcast. So if you want to ask me a question to be answered on the podcast, you can do that by going to www.speakpipe.com slash Nick Benger. And today I'm going to be interviewing Michelle Stern. I'd heard so much about Michelle before doing this podcast. You know, she'd been recommended to me by so many other previous guests that I just absolutely had to interview her and I didn't regret it at all. What an awesome guest. And you're going to find that out today when you listen to this episode. But to introduce her, Michelle Stern is the founder of Pooch Parenting. And since this podcast, she's actually gone on to make her own podcast uh, called the Pooch Parenting Podcast. So be sure to check that out as well. And today we will talk about children and dogs and how to manage that whole situation. So let's get into it. Well, hey, Michelle, welcome to the show. Hi, Nick. I'm so happy to meet you. It's really cool to meet you. Obviously, we got connected because we've got mutual friends. And it was funny, actually, because then once we started talking on Facebook, then obviously Caroline chirped in as well, because and we we both know Caroline, too. So that was a she huge is coincidence. wonderful. I love her. Yeah. So um, I think that that's probably a good sign that we run in the same circles. But anyway, oh, that's good. I wanted to uh, obviously talk to you because you have an interesting speciality in that you work primarily with children and family dogs and making sure that whole process goes smoothly. And before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about mindset. So I think that's a really good place to start the podcast. In terms of mindset, what do you think that people are kind of commonly getting wrong? Where would you like to, you know, what would you like to see people's mindset be when they're kind of first getting into that? Well, you know, one of the things that like, if I could fantasize about how things would go, the sequence of when people, let's say would contact me or another trainer, it would be before they bring the dog home in the first place. Um, 
because I find that with a lot of families, they, they bring home the wrong dog. And that can cause a boatload of issues with children. Um, around here, where I live in the United States, um, we get a lot of herding breed dogs that chase and nip the children, of course, because that's what they were bred to do. Um, and the people thought those dogs were super cute and that's why they adopted or purchased one. And then they call because the dog is hurting and biting and chasing their kids all the time and they don't know what to do and they can't even just get through the day without feeling like they're yelling at somebody. So I kind of wish that people would reach out and, and know that there are people out there who understand the dynamics of child development and dog behavior at the same time. Or I could flip that on its head and recognize that a lot of families have dogs before they have children, right? They call them their first baby. And I wish that those people would get help before the baby arrives. So whether you're pregnant or adopting, I've done one of each, um, you still are bringing home a child to a dog that already exists. And there's a lot you can do to prepare the dog before the new baby comes. And so I think just sort of opening up and normalizing, getting support, um, before the sudden big change happens, you know, in the family dynamic. I think that would be huge. Yeah, I can imagine. So like you mentioned their herding breeds and I think the herding breed thing is a classic because people see the, uh, they see the dog on like television, they see these collies and they're doing like this incredible obedience stuff and they think, oh wow, that must be a really easy dog to train. You know, that would be a great pet. So <laughs> yeah. you mentioned, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people get the wrong dog. So what is the wrong dog? And also for the people at home that maybe have a collie and they're pregnant, you know, is it, <laughs> is it the end of the world? <laughs> Just call me and I'll help you. <laughs> no, that's true. I don't want anyone to feel bad. And honestly, I think it's worth noting that when you ask the question about the wrong dog, I think we really have to acknowledge that it's not a breed question necessarily, right? I don't want anybody to blacklist any particular breed because as you and I both know, there are individuals within every breed that you know, defy expectations or that cause expectations. So for example, I had a client um, who called me. Um, she was in one of my puppy classes and everything was great. She had a golden retriever puppy and she had two adorable little kids and the kids kept coming to training classes and it was great. And we just all fell in love with each other. And later on when the class was over, she called me in for some private consults because the dog had started to become really scary aggressive. And this was still a puppy. And um, we had a lot of sessions in tears because this dog, I think, was wired wrong. I think there was something going on neurologically with this dog that caused these crazy attack behaviors. Um, and so, you know, she just kept saying over and over again, we got a golden retriever because they're supposed to be good with families. They're supposed to be this and they're supposed to be that. And I think that we see that a lot, right? We see that with Labradors here, golden retrievers here. Um, and I just want to point out that while those two breeds are amazing and super friendly generally, it doesn't mean that each individual within that whole breed is going to be the right match for your family, right? And we also have to keep in mind, and this is something that dog professionals know, but most pet owners don't know, is that a lot of breeds have what they call a working line, and then there is sort of more of a pet line. So, you know, there are, you know, labs and golden retrievers are a perfect example of that. There are hunting bred lines of Labradors that are hardcore, like they have to work all the time or they'll destroy your house. 
because they just have that work ethic. Like I got to do stuff. And for a lot of families, they just aren't active enough to keep that dog engaged. And so that dog gives itself its own job. Same thing with golden retrievers. Um, But I do just want to point out, like I hear, this is kind of weird and I hope it's okay for me to say this, but there are also people who are, I call them breed racists. Like, is that okay to say? So breed racists are people who just make an assumption often about a breed like a pit bull, right? Mm -hmm. That they heard a terrible story and now they hate all pit bulls. And that's a really unfair, you know, point of view because pit bulls in general are amazing. But yeah, there are a few poor ones, but there are also a lot of terrible owners that have contributed to that, right? So Yet again, when you look at the right or wrong dog, I think what you really have to consider first is your lifestyle. You have to be fully 100% honest, not in saying the life you wish you had, but the life you have. So for example, with myself, I am a little bit active. Like I love to go hiking, but I am not going to go backpacking. I just have to admit that, like, I wish I was, but I'm not. And so the dog that I need is happy to go on a hike with me for, you know, three, four miles. And that's good. Like that dog is satisfied with that, but I don't necessarily need some outdoor adventure buddy. That's going to be sleeping outside with me for three weeks at a time. Right. Yeah. This so is, I think, this- you know, just, and, and also just sort of saying real quick, like, are you inclined to, to sit on the couch and watch TV which is fine. I have no judgment with that. But then you need a dog that just wants to snuggle and do the same, right? As opposed to that hiking dog who is going to be bored in that family. This is really important, you know, and I completely agree. I'm in the same situation where, um, you know, we lost our, our one of our dogs in December. And so I think a lot of people are asking or like a lot of people are thinking, kind of, when are you going to get another dog? I kind of need another dog for my training because I use them a lot for um, stooging and stuff like that. Um, and like, as much as I would love, like, I love the idea of going out and getting like a Dutch Shepherd or a Belgian Malinois or something like that. And having a dog that's really like working and driven. And that would be fantastic when I'm training that dog. Like realistically, my lifestyle doesn't like, I don't think it would go well, you know? And sometimes you see clients dogs and you think like, I definitely think even when I, sometimes I'll see a client with a really driven dog and I think like, you know, um, a part of me is kind of happy I'm not taking that dog home because I know that it would not work for me, right? But as a dog trainer, we're put in a situation where we do see uh, like um, uh, bad mixes or bad, like, um, okay, I'm trying to think of the word, like it's just a bad pairing, right? Like maybe you yeah. have mm-hmm. someone that um, isn't particularly active and they have like a really active dog. And we're in a situation where, you know, that person has paid for our help and we're there to try and resolve the situation to the best of our abilities. So yeah. how do you deal with that? You know, when you, when things have gone wrong, you know, maybe people are all, cause that's probably the situation you're in more than anything else is, you know, someone just has a, a, a dog that isn't, you know, necessarily the perfect mix for what they're trying to accomplish, especially when yeah. they have children. Yeah. I mean, I unfortunately get called a lot when the dog is growling at the child or the dog has bitten the child and then they have to assess whether or not that dog can remain in their household in a safe way moving forward. Um, I would say honestly that what I have finally come to accept over my time doing this work is that people are paying me for my opinion and I better give them 
the, I better give it to them. Right. I, and that's what they want. And I have to be fair and balanced and honest about what I say to them. Um, and, and I do it with love, right? So I can say some really hard things, but I do it with love and, um, and nurturing and virtual hugs and all that. Cause I see all my clients over video, so I can't hug them in person if they're sad, but, but I do sometimes have to say, you know what, I really think that you need to think about whether or not this dog is happy living in this situation. And I bet we can find a family that would suit this dog better. So I just had that happen, um, two weeks ago with a woman, she was really sweet. Um, she had a daughter who was six years old and they had a rescue dog who had bitten, well, I'm gonna say bitten. She did not use that word. She used the word nip, which some people, you know, they try to make it sound better than Definitely. it is. Definitely. And it, nipped, <laughs> it nipped four different children on the nose. Um, okay, so we should just talk about that, right? Like, yeah. how does that happen? And how does it happen more than once? Right. And it just happened that her parenting style was much more relaxed than would be appropriate for having this kind of dog. Right. She didn't know where the dog and child were most of the time and kids would come in and out of her house and she wouldn't know it. And that's fine in certain circumstances, but with this particular dog, it's a lawsuit waiting to happen. And I had to tell her that, you know, I had to say to her, you know, look, I think we need to really have an honest discussion about what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. And I told her how we could keep that dog at her house, but she wasn't willing to exercise enough management that would allow everyone to be safe and successful. And so management is one of, one of my top things that I advise people on. I'm a management queen. Like I can set up any house with baby gates and pens and even an RV. I had a client in an RV and we put in a retractable baby gate so that it didn't take up space. And, um, but in any case, I think, you know, I think we just, you really have to have these sort of come to Jesus moments with people sometimes like, what can you actually handle? Now, one of my goals, I used to, I used to volunteer and work at a shelter is I don't want dogs going to shelters for being the dog they are. That's really not fair or for making a mistake. If, if a dog bites a child because the parent didn't prevent that child from having access to that dog, like people allow their children to crawl on their dogs, like their furniture, or like their toys or big stuffed pony. And that's so unfair to put the dog in that situation. And I don't blame that dog for nipping, right? If you put me in that position, you had people crawling over me, I'd probably bite them too. And so a lot of this goes back to that whole mindset conversation that we really have to just help people take off the rose colored glasses and say, listen, I mean, come on, dogs have teeth and they'll use them, but let's prevent them from being put in that situation in the first place. So it's a really hard conversation. Like, you know, how do we, how do we help people feel not only physically safe, but emotionally safe, the people, the children, the dogs. I also have families that call me because their kids afraid of the dog. And that's also not fair, right? You have to respect every individual in the house, not just one or the other. Yeah. There's so much. You always give me so much to respond to. <laughs> I don't even know if I answered your question. I got off on some tangent and I might have completely missed I know. It's question. just in my head. I've got like five things I want to respond to. Oh now. my gosh. Okay. <laughs> but what's, Go for it. what's funny there is like you mentioned that children being afraid of the dog. And actually, that's a real classic I find with people that have got puppies. You know, everyone thinks that getting a puppy is easier if you have 
um, children. But oh, what people don't count on is the fact that puppies almost always go for a really bitey phase. And for a lot of children, that is you know, scary and it's really unpleasant. Um, and it can really quickly put the children off of the puppy. Um, and with regards to puppy, pu puppy biting, I really think the amount that we can do about puppy biting is massively over-exaggerated. I think dog trainers love <laughs> to tell you that they have a solution to puppy biting. Um, and maybe I'm being, this is me being brutally honest. I, I've, I think that puppies have to go through that phase. And I don't think there's anything that you can do to stop puppy biting. I think all you can do is good management. Um, and there are some things that can help, like training your dog to let go of you once they're hanging off your arm, right? <laughs> but but overall, like there's no silver bullet. Like everyone's always looking for the silver bullet. So um, with regards to puppy biting and puppies, like that's a real like common issue with with children. It's it yeah. Oh my gosh, it's like one of the most common things that I hear about is you know how do I get it to stop. And I'm like, well, you know, it's a normal developmental phase. And that's how puppies explore the world. They don't have fingers. They have a yeah, mouth. Definitely. And, um, you know, there's, like you said, I mean, that's a management situation. And I, I find it funny now. And, and I don't say this in any criticizing mean way at all, yeah. by the way, is that when they say, how do I get my dog to stop biting my child? The, the simplest answer is to say, well, don't let the dog have access to your child. Mm. And then your dog won't be biting your child anymore. Sure. Right. And, and again, that goes back to mindset. People think that the puppy needs to be everywhere with every person all the time. And you and I both know kids play on the floor, but that doesn't mean the puppy needs to be in the, the thick of it. Right. The puppy doesn't have to be in the middle of the pile of Legos and toys <laughs> while the kids are down there. Right. But the puppy can interact with everybody from a distance. The puppy could be tethered to the parent on a leash attached to the parent's waist, or the puppy can be in a pen watching the kids play. These are all really great learning opportunities for the puppy. And it also teaches the puppy, hey, you know, you don't always get what you want when you want it. And right now it's pen time so that the kids can have their freedom. And I often, this sounds crazy, but... I often recommend that if parents have toddlers that they use a pen for the toddler some of the time. So <laughs> I rotate, like, I'm serious. Yeah. Like who goes well, in the do, pen? Though, don't they? They have like, little, like you, I don't know what you call them. Cause I'm not a parent, but like little crashes almost like little. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they're often called like a play yard or, or whatever, but it's, it's essentially like an X pen, but it's built for kids. So yeah. it's not, it doesn't move as easily and it's not as pointy, like, you know, how X pens are like sharp sure. in certain places. So these are these awesome pens and you could expand them. I had one person that I've worked with who's amazing. And she literally took up half of her family room and gave up the kitchen table because she needed more pen space. And her toddler was in the pen yeah. and her dog had anxiety and couldn't be in a pen because he would go insane. He had free reign of the house. So it was just such an interesting sort of, situation where she said, look, the only way that I can prevent my dog from losing his mind because he has crazy anxiety is I have to pen the toddler. And the pen was big enough that she could go in there and they could play. It wasn't like the kid was isolated and in jail or anything, but it was just, listen, she knew there had to be a barrier between them or someone was going to get hurt. Well, this is where mindset comes in, Michelle, because I think a lot of people will think, well, hang on a minute. You're not really solving any problems here. You know, you're just kind of avoiding the problem. 
Um, you know, I want my my dog not to, or my puppy rather, because it's very different if you have an adult dog that's biting children. Yeah. Obviously, um, I, I want my puppy not to bite children. I, you know, he needs to learn. How is he going to learn if I've got him closed up all the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think it's interesting, you know, but I also. I think of it in the same way as teaching them. Well, you also have to teach your child not to touch the hot stove. And you also have to teach your child not to walk into traffic. Right. And some of those things are management. You're sometimes you're just going to grab your kid and prevent access to those things. I'm not going to let you go in the swimming pool right now because there's nobody in there to keep you afloat. Right. I'm going to put a fence around the swimming pool. I mean, if we're willing to do that to keep our kids safe, then we need to include similar management strategies. Mm, that's a that's a lovely analogy. I really like that because, you know, um, obviously it's a developmental phase. You know, that was something that we really need to come back to. Like what a lot of people don't realize about puppy biting, I think, is that it will go on its own. You know, it w- it's just a matter of time um, mm-hmm. before it, it stops happening. So... Um, with regards to developmental phases, I think it's really interesting that uh, you're someone that actually has a background in, you know, working with children. Like, am I right in thinking before, you know, before actually working with dogs? Is that right? Yeah. So I'm a mom, of course, but I was a teacher for 16 years. I taught high school, which doesn't fully count because they're young adults, although they act like children a lot of the time. <laughs> but I loved them. They, it was so much fun because they made me laugh every day. Um, but then I founded a cooking school for children and I ran that for eight years and I mostly cooked with toddlers of all things. And so it just so happens that toddlers and knives and toddlers and blenders and toddlers oh and stove are very similar to toddlers and puppies. Right. And so we really get a good handle on what toddlers are capable of when you're trying to cook with them, because you you can really easily see what they can process intellectually in terms of. Um, directions and how many steps can they follow at a time. So if I were to say, um, push up your sleeves, then grab the knife, then do this, then do that, they they get lost, right? But you could say, push up your sleeves and they can do that one step and then you can give them the next step. And so it's really fun to look at sequencing, look at language acquisition. And I, I take all of these things from a teacher standpoint and I apply it to my work with families, with kids and dogs. So we often, you know, will when we're working with little ones, you know, we'll use um, things like chore charts if they're age appropriate I, or reward charts, not chore charts, sorry, reward charts to like help them. I let the dog sleep, right? How many times today did you let the dog sleep? Let's give you stickers for that. I, you know, didn't touch the dog when it was eating. Let's give you stickers for that. So you can do things like that. You can add visual cues. So we have I'm also familiar with working with some kids who have disabilities, not all disabilities, but I have quite a lot of experience of of some of this. And a lot of children, again, who can't necessarily remember rules because maybe they have a processing disorder, some of them are really good at visual cues. So I always keep a roll, and I have it right here, of blue painter's tape. Have you seen this kind of tape where you can um, stick it on your wall when you're painting trim and it comes off without peeling off the paint? Sure. So this tape is amazing. I used it for my cooking school for kids and I use it with clients as well, where we can put tape on the floor or on a wall or wherever, anywhere we need a visual boundary for kids and dogs. So let's say, for example, we've got a dog resting in a crate 
And you and I have both seen the pictures of the kid crawling into the crate with the dog and you know that's a bite waiting to happen. And it's it's one of my hard and fast rules is that the crate is the dog's space 1000%. This is non-negotiable. And so with some kids, what I'll do is I'll take the blue tape and I mark off a perimeter around the crate, you know, maybe two feet out, you know, or whatever, a meter away from the edge of the crate. So it's in this like blue buffer zone. And then the kids can see that. And it's like, don't cross the blue tape. This don't is, cross this the blue is tape. genius. This reminds me, cause like, I can just imagine, like, I remember, you know, kids play these kind of games all the time, right? Like where it's like, like the floor is lava, right? Like you, yeah. it's like, it's very visual, right? Like, totally. You know? yes. <laughs> so that's really genius to me. And that's what, Michelle, you're like really hitting on why I really want to talk to you because most dog trainers don't have a background in working with children. You know, so even even if you're a dog trainer and you just happen to love working with, you know, these cases with family dogs, with children, the chances are you might know huge amounts about the dog, but you don't really know about children, you know, so you're kind of working from a position like you're working from a disadvantage because we don't necessarily have this knowledge about um, the way that, you know, children think and, and their developmental phases. So that just absolutely fascinates me. And I. I love hearing these little pieces of advice. Uh, this is really good. So good. So good. I'm so glad. I'm glad they're helpful. I I think that um, something that's kind of interesting is that we all have our little bag of tricks, you know, and what is one bag of tricks? My dog is about to bark, so I need to grab some treats. Um, you know, what's what's in my bag of tricks might not be in your bag of tricks. And so that's why I one of the reasons that I love these conversations is because we all can learn so much from each other. And it's, you know, it, it doesn't mean that any of us are, you know, bad at anything. It just means that we need to learn from each other more and more. I think as a dog trainer as well, there's like a level of um, discomfort when you're called in to work with a dog, right? And, and like the problem is, you know, the dog's interaction with the children. Um, but your, you know, your expertise in this situation is you're a dog trainer. And um, so like, there's a boundary of like, there's a, there's a boundary of, Hey, I don't want to give, you know, parenting advice and come across as someone that's being really intrusive. Or it's like, it's one of those things that I think oftentimes isn't welcomed. Like when you're giving parent unsolicited parenting advice can annoy people yeah. maybe more than anything else. <laughs> Yeah. So like, I know it's a, it's a hard line, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's a couple things to unpack there. Number one is that a lot of parents don't know that somebody like me even exists, that there are dog trainers who specialize in this and there are several of us. There's not a lot, but there are some. And to, to select me over you, let's say, Mm -hmm that person is making a choice to say, you know what, I need to talk to another parent who gets what I'm going through. Right. Um, and it's not about like Nick's skills as a dog trainer, because I'm sure you can train circles around me any day, which you did on that amazing show, by the way, but that's another topic. (laughs) Um, I'm not, I mean, I'm a decent dog trainer, but I am a very compassionate person and I have walked in the shoes of those people and I'm really good at behavior, right? Behavior, you know, consulting and that sort of thing. And so I think it's just really interesting when, when people make a conscious choice, right? To choose somebody who has this unique skill set, 
then it's the door is already open for me to give all the parenting advice that I want because they chose me for that reason. Um, I have also been called in to sort of moderate spousal discussions. Is that even a word? Spousal? It is now. Um, <laughs> marital, marital discussions. Um, and I kind of joke, I say, oh, I'm not that kind of counselor, but, but at times I am because what can happen is, so I just got a message just the other day from a woman. She has a fiance who has a dog. She had a dog. Now they're living together they're having issues um, over his dog's poor behavior. That's their one thing that causes friction. And in particular, their dog's reaction to uh, visiting children was highly inappropriate. There was so much excitement. There was humping and stuff like that, which they didn't understand what that meant. So I helped her understand that was just excitement in general. It had nothing to do with sexuality or anything. Um, but the idea that if they as a couple wanted to go down the road of considering having children, that they need to figure out how to help this dog to make better choices <laughs> and not just make better choices, but how to set that dog up to succeed in the first mm. place. So again, management, but then we can also add in great training, right? Mm. You can add in mat training or boundary training or barrier comfort behind mm. a barrier or whatever. Um, but, but the idea, like you said, that sometimes, sometimes people choose the trainer that allows them to be their vulnerable self because I find that a lot of parents just feel like a failure, right? They just feel like there's guilt and there's like, I'm not a good mom, mom. I'm not a good dog, mom. Like I'm rubbish at all this stuff. And it's all like cycling out of control. Mm -hmm. And so it's just kind of an interesting perspective, but about the parenting advice, I, I don't hold back, but I'm very gentle about it. And I, you know, and I always frame it in the perspective of how do we help your kids successful how do we help your dog be <clears throat> successful yeah but i think you know what you're making the case for there is like niching right and because you have like set yourself up as the uh you know children and dog specialist that is what allows you then because you're coming in with the expectation that there's going to be some parenting advice there as well um and yeah. i think that's that is uh you know one of the huge benefits of uh, you know, being in that situation and, and making that your niche. And obviously that is something that, you know, more and more people I'm sure will do there, you know, look to people like you that are doing it successfully and think, hang on a minute, you know, I love children. I love dogs. You know, let me combine both of these things. And that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's really, really good. Um, I guess the people that, um, the more of the generalists, right out there like me right that maybe i like i'm still gonna see cases with children and dogs i um, even though that's not my specialty and obviously yeah. if we get to a, maybe i don't know i'm 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 probing here michelle maybe if we get to the point where it's like if i go in like because there's gonna be like a a ratio right like hey like i don't know like this is uh you know eight tenths of this is working with the dog right? And two temps is the children or vice versa, right? Like, yes. or maybe actually this is more of a parenting issue, dare I uh -huh. say, than yeah. a dog issue. Uh, maybe yes. I need to refer you to Michelle um, or someone that is, you know, Exactly. Capable. And I actually really like that. I mean, I, I don't think it's inappropriate to say, you know what, here's what I'm seeing. 
and I can help you with this part. And I have the perfect person to help you with this other part because they want efficiency and they want results as quickly as they can get them in the most efficient way. And I think it takes a really brave professional of any field, doctor, lawyer, anyone to say, that's not my jam, but I know who's good at that one thing, right? You know, I mean, aggression is not my specialty. And so, you know, I can help with certain things, but I'm, yeah, I'm going to refer out and I have a good friend that I send my aggression stuff to. And I send my separation stuff all to Melena. And, you know, there are people that are really good at certain things. And I, I think it's really nice that we can all you know, be friends and cooperative this way where I can say, nah, you want to do, you want to do adventuresome tricks? You're going to Nick because you can do this. Right? I know this for a fact. Sure. Um, um, I think that's really interesting as well. I think like a lot of people when they're starting out, they feel like they need to know all the answers and they can be really terrified of kind of having that conversation of like, Hey, actually, I think this person will be a better fit when it comes to X, right? Yeah. Um, and actually, like the converse is true. I think once you've done it a few times, you you really lose that fear of it. And and also, like, I think that people that are more exper experienced actually probably do it more, right? Because they know that hey, like this isn't uh, this isn't going to be for me, right? Or like you know, I've I've got a lot of people that really need my help with you know, that have dogs with aggression. Um, and that's really more my thing than, you know, this. And I think that here's this person that I know that actually would be perfect for you. Mm -hmm. Or like you said, you know, some kind of collaboration where it's like, hey, I'll work on this bit with you, but I really think you should speak to this person for that. And what I think is really interesting, Michelle, you spoke about doing stuff, you know, online, using video, all of that kind of stuff. Like that has opened up a whole new world. Like it really has, because now you don't have to be local to someone. And I think this right. is probably going to be the biggest change that happens over the next, you know, however many years. And COVID has sped it up so much because like it's been a necessity. Yeah. So that makes it really interesting because I can actually go and do a case and I can actually refer them to you or I can actually refer them to Milena. It doesn't have to be someone that's in my local vicinity. Right. I think Milena really set the stage with that because with separation anxiety work, all of the work they do is remote. And so she set the stage. So for her, nothing has really changed. And so for the rest of us, it, the floodgates have opened and she's just kind of sitting there grinning and saying, yes, I knew this was going to happen. But I think it was really great. One of my very first cases when I launched my business was actually a referral from Milena. Um, and the client had no hesitation to work with me, even though she was in Chicago and I was near San Francisco because she already had worked remotely with Milena. And so it was great because I think in the beginning, a lot of people needed some persuading that, yes, I could actually help at a distance. And frankly, I mean, if we're going to be totally honest, I think that working remotely in many ways is more effective because if I'm dealing with a dog that is fearful, then I'm not adding any stress to the situation by being there because I'm on a screen. I'm not really there. And, you know, with, with kids and dogs, I think with puppies in particular, you know, you can get a lot of 
um, frustration from the dog parents saying things like, I'm so frustrated. He does it for you, but he doesn't do it for me. And that kind of thing. I'm sure you see that all the time. And, um, and when I'm not there, they don't feel bad because they're not comparing themselves to me or to any professional, right? Because they're the one that has to do it from start to finish. I can coach them. I can watch the situation. I can easily tell them you need a baby gate over there and you need to move this piece of furniture over here. And this is why, but they have to do it. And so the responsibility is more on them. And I don't have to worry about these transfers, you know, that, you know, a lot of trainers, they can train the dog, but then they still have to teach the person how to get the same results. And I don't think any of that is an issue when we see our people remotely. I, I think that like, it's very much specific to the issue. Um, I think there are some issues that really benefit from in-person training. And there are some that actually, it really doesn't make much of a difference. And like you said, there might even be an advantage to working remotely. I think there will continue to be that opposition to working with someone on a remote basis for a period yeah. of time where it's like, you know, like you said, can can I really get help from someone that's, you know, not there in person with me? But I think that's just going to continue to dwindle as people become, you know, like everyone's aware of Zoom now, you know, like mm -hmm. this wasn't like I was using Zoom before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know and no one knew what it was like and now yeah. everyone knows what it is you yeah. know it's really funny like i think this is just gonna get really normalized yeah. but one thing i did want to kind of jump back on um was you were talking about kind of uh the two parents or the you know the couple um uh kind of like arguing a little bit or like some tension there um and that's a that's a really common one in a, in sessions where you're working with a couple and you get that question where it's like hey um can you settle this argument for us so you know he thinks that blah and i think that this like so what's true and it's like oh god you've really set me up here now because now i'm gonna alienate one of you if i answer your question <laughs> so it's like it, you can really end up kind of um tiptoeing around sometimes in those situations and like you said like you almost there's times where it's like man like you know i, I feel like a counselor you know yeah yeah i often will diffuse that with a joke or something like that, or I'll just make a joke and say, it doesn't matter, the woman is right, you know, or what, you know, it, little things like that, just to kind of make them laugh. Um, but I'll generally share my perspective and try to avoid settling those arguments because <laughs> I don't want to put my foot in it and then have the other person just not listen to anything else I have to say after that. Of course. Yeah. And like I said, you know, sometimes you can feel like a real counselor and sometimes all of these jobs like you know like some people say the hats that you wear right like they can become really mixed and i think that with the whole family dog situation it's really apparent that like you know sometimes as a dog trainer you don't have these skills which are really needed to help the person in the situation um you know there were other times as well like there were other situations where maybe you're working with someone um like i've had it many times where you know someone's mental health you know, is really impacting the situation in a big way. Right. And it's like, that's challenging because, you know, I'm, I'm a dog trainer, you know, and I can help you with your dog, but at the same time, a huge part of the dog's problems are caused because of this area, which I, you know, I'm not an expert on, you know, I'm going to struggle right. with. Um, so I think that's where these kind of issues, you know, 
can scare people, you know, can like, if you're a dog trainer, it can kind of worry you about taking on these cases because it's like, you know, it can be so like deep and layered, you know, and and maybe I don't have the skills to help you. Maybe I do. Like it really depends on what I encounter when I get to your house, but it's a tough one. Yeah, it really is. And it's, you know, again, the well-being of every member of the family is so important, you know, and I, that's why I always look at physical and emotional wellness because, you know, I don't want kids fearing dogs for the rest of their life just because their dog is a jerk and vice versa. <laughs> I don't want, you know, I don't want, um, dogs to fear children for their whole life just because that one child is a jerk. Right. I mean, there are some kids that really should not have access to animals. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a very delicate blend of like, you know, how do you say certain things? I think a lot of parents do believe their kid is a bit of a jerk, but they don't necessarily know how to say that, or they don't want to say that, or, you have to broach the subject really gently because I don't want to go to somebody's house and say, you know what, your kid's a brat and, um, you know, you need to step up your parenting game because obviously that's going to just be like hitting my head against a brick wall. But on the other hand, you know, if I can frame it from the perspective of how the dog is feeling, I can see by the way that your dog's ears are going back and their tail is tucking every time your child comes into the room that there's some kind of issue with their relationship. So how can I help you? My puppy is making noise. How can I help you so that, um, um, you know, so that we can get the dog to feel safer when your child comes into the room? Um, you know, do you, have you noticed any behavior that your kid might be doing around your dog that might be causing your dog to feel this way? Because again, again, going back to the mindset thing, I think that a lot of parents don't really consider how the dog is feeling and they are certainly not good at reading dog body language. And so if I can bring that into the picture as often as possible and tell them what I'm seeing, you know, oh, I noticed blah, blah, blah. Um, what do you think could cause that? What do you think was happening at the time your dog did this thing? Um, you know, maybe maybe there was a noisy toy nearby or, you know, somebody's running around with a balloon that's terrifying <laughs> or whatever, or wearing a costume with a mask that's scary or whatever, sure. um, getting them to kind of use their, their lens, their microscope or mm. magnifying glass to like evaluate like what is happening in the whole situation. Um, because then suddenly you're, you're shining a light on that this is not a one, there's not one contributor to their whole life scenario, right? There are lots of moving pieces all the time. So it's, it's behavior, it's behavior of the kid, it's behavior of the dog, it's communication and how do we communicate and how do we play and how do we, how do we feel safe? You know, all those kinds of things. There's a lot of like internalized guilt, I think when um, probably your children, I would imagine as well. Um, but definitely when your dog is misbehaving, like I think um, that for a long time, we've kind of been told that, Hey, it's always the parents fault or it's always the like owner's fault. You know, there's no bad dogs. It's, uh, you know, there are only bad owners and, you know, this is very deeply ingrained in the way we think about dogs. So when someone does have a dog that misbehaves, they feel very guilty, you know, and like, I get so many phone calls from people that are like, you know, so apologetic, right? Like it's, it's kind of a little bit sad, really, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, like, actually, let me tell you a story. Like it just came to mind. 
I was I was out the other day with um like this is something dog trainers should admit, but I don't really care. Um I was <laughs> <laughs> I was out the other day with a client and we were um at a busy park and um we were socializing uh one dog and uh they these two dogs just kind of ended up getting in a scrap and it wasn't really anyone's fault. It was just kind of like you know, just like we were talking about bad mixes, right? Like, you mm-hmm. know, we had a really um like over exuberant dog and they had like a young male that was like go on then get in my face <laughs> i'm gonna have you, right? <laughs> you know? uh, and so these two dogs just start scrapping not a big scrap but like you know just having a bit of a, a handbags we used to call it right um and then this other dog runs over and didn't really do anything but just kind of like was there um and the lady of the it was a black labrador the lady that owned that dog like came in and she was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I think it was because the dog was on lead. I don't know what happened. Like, I don't know why he did this. And it's like, I like had to tell her like 10 times, like your dog didn't do anything, right? <laughs> but like, you know, this is this is kind of the situation that a lot of people are in where like, you know, if their dog misbehaves or they think their dog's misbehaved, they can feel incredibly guilty and apologetic. Um, and I guess what I'm getting at is it's not always like like there's a saying like it's not always your fault but it's your responsibility you know and I, I think that's true sometimes with with a lot of dogs but also even if it is your fault like you didn't set out to do it wrong right like you know you just didn't have the knowledge and maybe you made some mistakes and that's fine like we all make mistakes right mm-hmm. i love that you said that I think people do the best that they can with the knowledge that they have in that moment. And they also don't know what they don't know. And so that's, that's where we have to come in in a really non-judgmental fashion to say, you know what? Okay. So instead of regretting what just happened, let's move forward because it's done. Whatever happened is over. And now we know more information than we knew before. And let's figure out how we're going to either prevent this from happening again or whatever. The thing is that we have a goal setting for moving forward. Um, But now we have more information and we have to move forward. We have to think ahead. And again, you know, you just have to deal with what's in front of you because kids and dogs both have these developmental changes and phases. And that's so I have a membership for parents with dogs. And um, the reason that I think it's effective is that there is change over time that just because your puppy did a great job in puppy class, it doesn't mean they're done. It doesn't mean that your work is finished, right? Because later on, some new temptation may happen or your dog is going to hit adolescence and maybe be a little more testy than they were before or whatever. And then in combination, your children are growing and changing. So Parenting kids and dogs at the same time is not a sprint. I tell people it's a marathon that your dog is changing all the time and your child is changing all the time and you need ongoing support moving forward because little things come up and I don't want parents to feel like they have to apologize all the time. Like you just said in your story that that's a really frustrating and hard way to live when you're beating yourself up all the time because, oh God, I'm sorry. I wish I did better. And so I'm there to say, you know what? I'm here. I am your support person. 
when things come up, you have me and we can set up a coaching session or we can set up, let's revisit managing or let's revisit mat training or how can we help you so that you no longer feel bad? I need you to be able to get through the day with your head held high and you need ongoing support for that. It's hard. Parenting is hard. Just kids alone is super hard. And then when you add a dog to the mix, it can be a circus. I have a question. This is like a bit random, but, um, you know, I, I really like reading. So um, I read quite a lot. And like I said, I, I don't know anything about children, which is why I'm trying to get your your opinion here. Um, one of the books I read, uh, which is a really controversial book, so don't hate me if you don't like this guy. Um, but I read uh, Jordan Peterson's book, Rules for Life, which I know is hugely controversial. But one of his rules for life is uh, you have a duty to raise children that are likable. But, and and the the idea being that if you actually kind of fail in that, right, and you raise children that, I think you said, did you say brats? Like, you, you know, if you raise, right, like if you raise children that are brats, actually that's like really crippling for them in their life. And it's like a hugely unfair thing to do um, because it's going to affect their entire life. So like that's a big part of your duty is you know, to make your children likable. And I think that that could extend to dogs as well, um, to some degree. Curious on your thoughts on that. Just really. So, yeah, that's a really good question. So I don't know the book. Okay. And so I, I, I will not judge you for it. <laughs> um, but there's, there's two things about that. So the way that we raised our children. So my grandmother, my mom's mom was a hard ass and she was just, gosh, she had the most high expectations of human behavior that I've ever met in anywhere. And it was terrifying. And so my husband and I kind of used her as the goalpost of if our kids don't make her upset with their behavior, if they please Helen, then we are good. And so I kind of feel like that's what you're talking about there with his thing in the book is that if we can raise children that can behave well when they're in the presence of Helen, then we have accomplished our goal. Now, of course, we have to remember that kids are still kids. And while they can behave really well in one context, they still are allowed to be kids and be oh, silly definitely. and do shenanigans elsewhere. So it is it that is something worth pointing out. But I do want to say too, that I like the idea of setting goals for your dog to be well-behaved and everything else. But I have to just acknowledge for people out there who have really hard dogs, that sometimes dogs are just hard. Like I have a person that I talk with a lot and she has this like working line Springer Spaniel with a lot of mental issues. <laughs> and that dog is on like three medications and that dog is crazy. And she loves him. He's wonderful, but he is a hard dog and she can never relax owning, owning him. And so I do think we have to give ourselves permission to not have some unattainable goal for what we expect our dog to be, because the dog we have is the dog we have, and we can mold it to a certain extent. But I do think that some dogs are limited in their capacity for whatever you called it, perfection or goodness or whatever, um, sure. just based on their biological, their chemistry mm. or whatever. It's funny, like, because when I think about it, <clears throat> and I'm not saying this is right, but like, this is my mental bias. Like, I almost give like dogs more uh, room to sway than I do children, <laughs> right? Like, <Yeah. laughs> you know, maybe this is just telling of my, I don't know, um, psychology, but it's like, if a dog isn't like, 
you know, well-behaved or, you know, like if a dog has issues, uh, you know, social issues or stuff like that, you know, I'm, I'm always quite, um, telling, you know, if, if someone, for example, how can I, I'm trying to struggle to word this, but like, if someone needs to avoid social interaction with their dog, right? Like, I'm not going to say, Hey, like you need to get your dog social in the dog park, but yeah. with children, I think it's almost different. I, you know, because I guess that with children, like you almost, yeah, at some point you're going to become an adult and you do have to be able to manage social situations. Yeah. So, I mean, I do think though, that if we can be a little more tolerant of the range of children and the range of humans as there are with dogs that can be helpful because for example, I'm thinking of certain children who are on the autism spectrum, um, who are not what we call neurotypical children. And for some of those children, they're not going to exist within the same social norm, the same social circles as other children, but they will still find ways to exist in the world, right? So kind of like how you and I joke about like the midnight dog walkers club where, sure. you know, you're going to walk your reactive dog at night when it's dark and no one else is out. I do think that there are people who thrive in alternative strategies of coping or working in the world or whatever, being a productive member of society. I, I do think that my perspective, having worked with so many kids, um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids as a teacher, is that I recognize that every child has strengths and weaknesses. And that if we could just really play to their strengths and they can feel successful in one regard or another, then that can give them some of the positive self-esteem or whatever that it takes to help move the needle forward in any other aspect of their life as well. Um, it's interesting. Let's see if, if your mindset shifts a little bit after our talk today and where you can look at certain kids and think, huh, that kid is instead of what a jerk, he's having a raging tantrum. He must be a bratty child. Instead, <laughs> maybe you'll be like, so instead you're going to think, wow, that that child has had trigger stacking today and is overstimulated. And wow, I should send that mother some flowers because she's really having a rough go today, right? So just to kind of change, I to maybe look at certain kid behaviors and think of it like a dog, like a dog tantrum. Kid tantrums are much the same. I think I'm a lot more accepting of small acts of misbehavior if the overall child wants to be good, you know, like you can tell the soul of someone sort of like, are they a good person, but they're just having a hard day or hard time, or maybe, maybe the confines of the school structure is it's too limiting. It's too rigid for that particular person and how they cope in the world. Just like we would with dogs that there are certain dogs that never in a million years could do competition obedience because it's way too structured and too noisy. And there's barking dogs and bells and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So we have to find what works for every individual people or kid. Mm. I don't want to like paint myself in a bad light either. Like I don't, uh, expect, no. <laughs> I don't expect every child to be perfectly well behaved. And also I no. realized that raising a child is a process, right? Like, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's like, totally. you, you know, you're going to have the tantrums in the supermarket. Like that's going to happen, you know? Um, yeah. So I don't want to seem like a, a Grinch. No, I didn't. And I didn't. I'm sorry. God, if I made you feel bad, that's not what I meant to do. I just think it's interesting when you start to think about kids and tantrums, like 
I, I saw a meme and I don't know where I originally saw it and you've heard this expression too. And, and it's related to dogs, but I, you can also relate it to children that your dog is not giving you a hard time. Your dog is having a hard time or your child is not giving you a hard time. Your child is having a hard mm-hmm. time, right? I mean, some kids love giving you a hard time. Don't get me wrong. Some kids love that. However, most kids, when they're struggling with something, it's not because they're trying to make us uncomfortable. But the combination, though, we have to remember, and this goes back to the whole puppy conversation, that when you have puppies and children, they both can have meltdowns. They both can have tantrums. And so management and parenting and and really just being observant of behavior, observant of scenarios, observant of, you know, as I call them, triggers throughout the day, like, oh my gosh, we went to the park and then we had ice cream and then we, you know, had a Zoom call with grandma. Maybe there were too many triggers that day for this child to stay calm through the evening. And it was inevitable that we had a tantrum in the afternoon, right? So you just kind of have to constantly think about all of the different contributing factors that lead to behavior Mm. for both the kids and the dogs. Yeah, it's so incredibly nuanced as well. Like, you know, yeah, it's just just the whole topic, right? That's just so it's just so deep, right? And there's, you know, there's going to be a big difference between, uh, you know, uh, one tantrum to the next as well, right? Like, uh, you know, there are dog tantrums. Like, maybe I should just talk about dogs because that's what I know, <laughs> right? Like, if my dog is sat in front of me barking at me because he wants me to stroke him, that's very different to a dog that is freaking out because they have separation anxiety, right? Like, there, there are so many differences in... Uh, this is why this is such a nuanced discussion. It's really hard to um, to kind of go go too far with it. But I'm I'm curious... Um, you know, obviously your speciality or something that you know a huge amount about is the children. Is it something that you think that dog trainers would really benefit from if they're working with children to go out there and learn a bit more about children? And if so, are there any particular resources do you think that would be really good to do that? You know, it's funny that you asked this question right now because I have a list of workshops that I want to teach. And the one at the very top is a sort of child basics for dog professionals. <laughs> and I know that sounds really silly. I don't think it's silly at all. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, the thing is dog trainers know so much about dogs, but they don't necessarily know that there are different child developmental stages that impact the dog at different times. And so, you know, like little babies grab things without having any control of their fingers and like little tiny babies. And so you can't teach a little tiny baby not to grab. Like if they grab, they'll grab your finger right after birth even. But if your dog's tail or fur or ear happens to be too close, then this infant can grab onto that dog, which can obviously lead to an issue if that dog is sensitive. And so I even just think that knowing certain things like that, like what are some triggers? What are some red flags that dog trainers should know about that they can keep their eyes open for um, to keep both the dog and child safe moving forward. And also, I like we said earlier, um, maybe, you know, a checklist on when to refer out to a dog and child or dog and baby specialist, because there's no shame in that, right? We, we know that we work best as a community of dog trainers and that we can support each other. So sometimes to just acknowledge if something is not in your wheelhouse. So maybe you're fine when you're working with 
you know, the average seven-year-old kid, that's totally fine. But when a family calls you and says that maybe they have a child in a wheelchair or they have a child who's on the autism spectrum or whatever, if you really have no experience with those kids, you may not understand some of the common behavior challenges um, that that parent is living through every day. And maybe that would be a good time to send out to a specialist. Yeah, knowing when to refer is definitely key. Like, I don't want to give anyone the wrong impression that they should take on everything, right? Because just as we said, like, there are times Mm -hmm. when it's definitely best to refer to someone that has a bit more knowledge. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of people out there that do do cases where children are involved, even if there's not Mm -hmm. even problems, you know, between the, the interactions between the children and the and uh, the dog, like oftentimes, well, you know, almost every class, right? Every almost every class you teach, uh, we're asked about children wanting to come and get involved mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. So I think uh, some basic understanding of that would be really beneficial. I think that would be a really interesting workshop to teach. Okay, actually. good. All right, you've given it the green light. Yeah, I, <laughs> it, it's, um, yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. I think. There are a lot of people who just aren't sure, you know, they're just not sure. And even just a little bit of comfort. Um, So it'll most likely be a workshop. I may do it live um, and then sell a recording or whatever. I'm not entirely sure, but it it will include a workbook. um, So that with visual, you know, visuals and stuff. Mm. So sometimes it'll be a nice reminder. but yeah, I'll let you know. I'll send you a message if well, I make it happen. Uh, what I was going to say is anyone that has any experience, even training a different species, right, is going to be aware that there are differences. Like just because we train dogs one way, like I think the learning theory principles probably remain pretty much the same, but um, the application can be really different. Like I've been uh, like recently, I kind of, this is the whole thing with COVID, isn't it? Like I don't know about you, but like I go on YouTube and I go down holes. <laughs> you know? So like recently, for some reason, I've really got into uh, watching videos about parrot training. Um, and I've never really like been a parrot person, but um, I found that really fascinating. Um, and obviously I keep reptiles and I know there's a huge reptile or there's like a, a growing reptile training scene. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting even when you start getting into different uh different species um and i'm sure that's even magnified with children that's a whole you know a whole other thing mm-hmm. um anyway yeah. uh to draw this to a conclusion is where can people find out more about you and what you do thank you so my website is poochparenting.net pooch parenting and i'm on instagram pooch parenting and facebook also pooch parenting and I'm thinking about a podcast, but it's, it's like in the, it's a twinkle in my eye at this stage, but it will be probably called the Pooch Parenting Podcast if I make it someday. Oh, well, you definitely should. Uh, and obviously I'm happy to help you with that as well. Um, so oh, thank you. yeah, fantastic. Well, it's been really good talking to you, Michelle, and really interesting to learn more about children as well. Thank you, Nick. It was a pleasure. Hey, it's me again. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And just one final reminder before you leave. If you want to ask me a question to be answered on the podcast, then don't forget you can do that by going to speakpipe.com slash Nick Really love answering your questions. And I really love that whole format. I feel like it's 
very interactive and very practical as well. So I really uh, love doing those episodes, but I can't do them unless you keep asking me questions. So be sure to do that at speakpipe.com slash nickbenger. And of course, if you have a few minutes, then I always appreciate it if you share this podcast, especially on Instagram. I really find that podcasts are very uh, shareable via Instagram stories. So if you would like to do that, if you're an Instagrammer, then I really appreciate that as well. Um, So yeah, thank you very much. And I'll see you again soon.